0: Welcome down to this week's episode, everyone. Thanks for pressing play, as ever. The plays are going great, so please keep sharing and reviewing. Of course, only if you enjoy the show. So I'll try and make things better every single week. The show is presented, as ever, by the folks at SeedGolf.com. Try those golf balls today if you haven't already. Golf is back in a couple of weeks, so stock up now. The show is also brought to you by TruthsGolf.com. They have released a massive Spring-Summer 21 range last week during Masters Week, and there are some products that if they aren't sold out already, would well, you better get your hands on? That climber 2.0 jacket, that's a bit of me. Speaking of me, this is the Paddy Talks Golf Podcast. So um, it's all about who we're talking to this week. And it's a gentleman um, I have a, a lot, a lot, a lot of respect for. Um, he has led from the front in all things Irish ladies' golf, Uh, With 20 plus years, being the coach to the Irish International Ladies team since 2001 and started the high performance programme with the Golfing Union of Ireland in 2009 10 time. This week it's David Carney. Welcome to this week's episode. Today, I'm having a chat with someone I've been chasing down, whether he knows it or not. Well, well, since day one, he's been on my hit list of guests. A proud PGA member with 30 years of experience in the industry in golf um, and has spent the last 20 years as the high performance lead for Irish Ladies Golf. David Carney, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me on. Great. No problem at all. Um, We'll get straight to it.
1: David, what's your earliest memory in golf? Clare Morris Golf Club, County Mayo. Um, the old clubhouse, locker room, the smell. I, I just remember all of those things as a kid. I don't, I don't remember being very good at the game, but I remember being in that environment with my brothers and my dad. And uh, just we hung out there for the summers. We played and we would drown in circles, nine holes. Like a lot of golf courses in Arlen Paddy, I think it possibly was a better nine hole than it is an Asian hole now. But we got caught up in cultural movements, deciding it needed to be 18, when nine was lovely. So we loved the nine, and uh, that's where we went in between swimming and football and all the other sports. Camaras was a great town for sport, actually. Brilliant town for sport. We had a great swimming club. We had a good football team. And of course, we're all part of the Green and Red Army, chasing down that elusive Sam Maguire. So uh, yeah, that was my first memory of golf. I wasn't overly interested in it. I was more of a footballer, more of a swimmer elder brother was an excellent golfer dad was a great golfer still is a good golfer and uh, all the brothers are uh, golf maniacs so it was a uh, yeah the smell in the clubhouse the old clubhouse the pictures on the wall my granddad from Ballantine, Mick Kearney uh, they were the first bits
0: no, it's great. It's like, and, and sometimes when I ask that question, people really go down the nostalgia way, and it kind of reminds them of you know people in their lives that they grew up with. Um, you mentioned you're, you come there from like every, everyone in your family is involved in golf. Um, generally, I do prepare for these conversations, mm-hmm. but sometimes the least preparation you do, that the more you actually find out about someone. Yeah. Um, David, with a family coming from golf where did the speciality like were we all low handicappers were we representing Ireland or where,
1: where were we no we, we, we were a stewards scraped onto the Connacht team I got a kind of a Connacht trial I won a match in Sligo I think and I get an interprose cap never got it I was, I was pretty bad actually Paddy to be honest with you I only improved a little bit when I went to royal county down and, and kevin whitson managed to knock me into some kind of shape where i could at least hit it uh ian ian was a good player ian's uh the pro and now works with neil in golf ireland um he was a good player jason the eldest lad was probably the best player actually out of all of us as a kid and um, didn't play much more when he when he kind of went into adulthood but yeah i was okay but i, I just kind of love the challenge of it and and uh, no it was never a I remember being at the Connacht Boys in Ballinasloe, I think, when I was about 15. And and Padre Carrington was there and he was the, he, well, he was on the range when everybody else was well finished. I remember that. And I remember him being, playing with Gerard Spruill, a young player from Sligo at the time, who was an excellent player back then. But no, I was definitely second division, but fascinated with the game and, and loved the game and uh, the inspiration at that time. I met a Connacht panel at one point and... Howard Bennett walked into the room as our national coach to help the Connacht lads for a weekend, and tightest jacket, grey trousers, black shoes, video camera over the shoulder. And I wanted to be a national coach, and I was 15 years young. And would you believe all these years later, his son Tony Bennett is a very good friend of mine and a, and a really good mentor as the uh, as the, the head guy for disabled golf with um, the International Golf Federation. So it goes full circle in golf. But the memories of me. I think when I've been honest about it, and as, as Steve Jobs says, you can join the dot, dots backwards, the memories for me were wanting to be involved in the game and wanting to be part of the game. And I think I was probably better at two other sports, but and GA at that time wasn't, uh, nor is it at this time, of course, Paddy, a place you can make money out of. And definitely I was a good swimmer, but I wasn't fast enough to, to head for the Olympics for sure oh there's
0: plenty of people in the gea making money i'd say davy fitz isn't short of a book the amount of pubs he's buying at the moment um i I (laughs) never said that patty you did (laughs) but he is from clare so i can kind of say (laughs) it i can kind of say it um you bought one in the i think uh during the height of the pandemic last year i don't know which one you bought though so we need to figure that one out for when, when they're back open hopefully later in the year um Golf, golf club, Royal County Down. Sometime in the states. The time the states
1: was that golf orientated, or was it J one as we call it now? Or was it? No, it it was pure by chance. Like all these things are. I was in the pro shop at Royal County Down, and um, this man walked in and looked uh, looked after him and his customers, his uh, his 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 guests, and. He suggested that I play a few holes of them, went to play a few holes of them. He asked me afterwards where I was going. I said I was, I, I just threw out, I was hopefully going to Florida to play golf, which I don't know where I came from, but that's where I, I had some aspirations of playing at that time. And he, he said to me, I remember his words actually, Paddy, he said to me, don't go to Florida, it's a dump, come to California. And I said, okay. So I rang him about six months later and I said, I was thinking of going to the States and, uh, Two months after that, I qualified as a PGA pro at Lillishall Hall in England. And he picked me up at the airport and he put me up for a couple of months and he let me practice at his club. And I learned from two great teachers on that trip. Uh, Kevin Whitson was a great inspiration as a teacher, as well as Howard Bennett. What I learned from that week, that, uh, those couple of months I learned from Dr. Jim Sutty, who would have coached Lauren Roberts and Paul Asinger at the time. And I learned from uh, the great Mark Evershed from Canada, who would have been a great... Uh, Uh, somebody that Mo Norman in his book The Feeling of Greatness accredits to being his only coach and uh, so that was a great journey because uh, shortly thereafter Mark invited me to Toronto so I got an overnight bus from Boston to Toronto and waited in a bus station eight hours for Mark to pick me up because he forgot about me and then went to his golf school and slept on a camp bed for three months in the corner of the golf school. And listen to him every day teach golf. So that was an unbelievable experience to watch Mark Ebershed. I've forgotten teacher, actually. He was on the Golf Channel for a number of years, but uh, he has an unbelievable mind for the game. And I learned so much there. So I think it's like everything when we go through life. I think it's a chance and, you know, opportunity and relationships and connection lead you to the next piece. And uh, that most certainly happened for me. And I've been very fortunate that it did.
0: It strikes me as a, as a person who's not afraid to take a risk, you know, um, in search of... So, someone asked me last week, uh, what is the common trend of people by chat to? And one is, there just seems to be an innate drive in people. So it's, it's people in the business or in sports or in teaching or, or being professionals. So it's an innate drive to be better and, and a curiosity. Would you say you you those would have been two traits of yours that spurred you to go to the states, to go to Toronto, to spend like an overnight bus from Boston to Toronto is all night on a bus.
1: (laughs) So with somebody shout Two traits are, are part of your makeup or did you acquire them from somewhere? with somebody shouting at me in the middle of the night that I woke them up when I didn't, I was sleeping. But I think this person had some other issues. But um, I think I remember being a kid with my mum in Ter Morris and I remember reading a book in a neighbor's house about um, There's Rock in, in Australia and the Opera House. And I remember then subsequently asking to go to the library and looking at books for, uh, looking at geography books and looking at places all over the world. And, and that's where the travel bug bit probably. And then I realised that golf was a great way to travel and probably the other thing I, I really honestly feel at this point, again joining the dots backwards, was David Jones, Howard Bennett, and um, some of the members of Clamores Golf Club for sure. I, I never forget when I was a young man how they made me feel, and and they could they made me feel I was the most important person, and that my life meant something, and that my sport and my uh, prowess at my sport. Some of the my Billy Fitzpatrick, my my Mayo minor uh, football coach. Some of these people left a, a huge impression when I played uh, for Mayo. You know, you'd meet some of these guys and they'd pull you aside and they'd have a conversation with you and they just made you feel that you were relevant. And I think that's probably for me. Uh, deep down, there was always probably a sports coach in me. I just didn't know which trade it was going to be in, but I think early on, I felt for me it was connection and it was people more so than it was the actual sport itself but then when I entered the sport and decided to um try to help people I figured out the best way to be able to do that was to search for answers and search for knowledge so that you're able and equipped with the answers that perhaps some people were looking for and like everything else it it takes years to figure out the right answer at the right time but the journey has been uh much to my my, my, uh, I suppose my wife's uh other side spending money travelling the world looking for these answers and I remember going to Fred Shoemaker in California uh, in 2008 and I can remember it's just around the time of the financial crash and crazy stuff going to California for three days to see him and talk to him for three days and read his great book with him Extraordinary Golf and visit his house and talk to him about golf but I suppose in the long term education stands us in good stead and, and gives us the ability to be able to be impactful towards our students and I'm just hoping that I've been able to help some of them the way that my mentors helped me. And I think that's the way life works and life goes on.
0: Definitely. And and I suppose everyone out there, whether in, whether in business or in sales or in sport or in teaching or coaching, there's definitely something in seeking out someone within your industry, within your niche or within your you know, your organization and to seek them out as a mentor, you know, someone who's walked the walk. Sure, you know. no sure. one, but none of us need to reinvent the wheel. And that's something I've definitely learned. I don't have yeah. to go, you know, solo runs, they're called in GAA. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know?
1: Absolutely. But like, it's, it's funny at this time, but there was a guy in Clamoras at the time and he doesn't know this and actually, hopefully he listened to this, but there was a really, really good player. He still is a really good player, a guy called Pat Killing in Clamoras played many championships. And when I was looking for an assistant pro's job, uh, Pat was the only one that helped me. He was the one that brought me into his office and he photocopied my CV and we sent it to England and we sent it to Scotland and we sent it everywhere. And uh, it's a nice shout out to Pat if he does listen to it because uh, a good golfer, a great golfer actually, at the time, one of our our best players in our club. But, you know, he he probably saw on me, you know, this guy could actually do this and I think everyone else was probably thinking this guy's a four handicap waste of time. There's no chance he's going to be able to do this. So, I think along the way, you, you, you kind of get opportunities like this to thank people that maybe you never, I haven't seen them personally for a number of years, but you, you realize then that there's goodness in people that are trying to help you along your way if you're open to that help. And, and God knows sometimes we need that help for sure
0: absolutely like if you think like I, I can think of a couple of people who've, yeah. who've definitely helped me up a rung of a ladder and i'll, yeah. I'll make a, a mental note to, after we have this chat to to text them or reach out to them absolutely um because they mightn't have realized the impact they've had on my life career-wise you know sure, 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 so toronto and then back to ireland was what was the compelling event to come back to ireland or had you a for a return
1: Visa. Uh, we, we had no visa. There was no chance of a visa at that time in the U.S. And, and when you look at the U.S. now, who was president? Who was president then? Oh gosh, <laughs> was it was it Bill Clinton at the time? It could have been. Okay. And, but you know, you look at you look at America now, and, and and you look at America then. But every I was down at the trade show with my friends, you know, Mick Allen, Mick Cavanaugh, uh, Gary Madden, Francis Holly, and Moore, and you know, knocking around the trade show at the at the teaching conferences, taking notes, fastidious notes on who was speaking and. left arm shouldn't be here it should be there in fact so therefore everything's fine and the dream was to teach and live in the states because you know that's where the golf was that's where the weather was and you look at it now 20 years later and you realize gosh you know what in ireland we have such a phenomenal place to be etc etc but at that time that was where we were and we had a we we just chased it and, and and worked on it and and looked at our teaching and worked at our teaching all the time then back to ireland uh, back to Galway Driving Range with my good friend John and We took a lease on a driving range in Galway for a number of years. Uh, that was again part of the journey. Learned, learned our way. Tried to figure things out in between. I'd been to Turkey. David Jones and David Ferretti offered me a job in Turkey to teach there for a couple of winters. Uh, Loved there, so, and have had a great relationship with that country for, since then. Uh, love the country, love the people, and you know, it, you just you just see these opportunities coming along, and you think right financially are they are they relevant and also from a career perspective are they the right uh, thing to do and then in 2001 I applied and for some strange reason managed to get the job as the ladies national coach I asked uh, the great Pia Nielsen when I got the job I don't know how I got the job I was 29 years old um, what should I do and she said look at she said the most important thing when you have a bunch of boys and a bunch of girls is that when you're teaching them just make sure that you don't interrupt the girls when they're having a conversation and to this day, it was just brilliant live advice, you know, and things like that led me into the the, the formation and the work within the ladies team, which went on for uh, nineteen years, which was a fabulous job to have, and I enjoyed every minute of it.
0: No, and I would say, I would say, um, from from the outside looking in, it would have really come to fruition, I suppose, in the last seven to eight years would I be saying that in terms of churning out the, the, the real high performing athletes. I, I'm not saying that, that those before weren't the same standard, but maybe there's more visibility on it now as well, especially with 20 by 20 movement and, and stuff like that. In the place like the Maguire sisters who always had a spotlight on them, I think. Sure. And, and please people like Lauren Grant and, and, and Olivia doing great things, you know, representing herself and her, locality and our country and and, and people like that you know is that fair to say or or am I missing the beat on maybe hearing the performers
1: no I don't think you are I think I think uh it was it was like you know I think we when I say we it was Sharon Morris myself and Johnny Glenn actually that entered the fray in 2001 2002 we started to look at I suppose the possibility of of uh looking at you know, helping the girls holistically as opposed to just with their technique or with their golf games. And that took a number of years for that mindset to kick in. I remember, I think it was Morgan Buckley consulted with the union at some point and said it takes 10 years to create a high performance unit. And I remember facetiously kind of saying, well, surely it shouldn't take that long, but he was actually correct. Uh, And then, of course, we added in a lot of the, the Ireland's best coaches right now, the likes of uh, Leanne Sharp, Michelle Carroll, Johnny Foster, Don Scott, Chris Jelly, Robbie Cannon uh, into the party in 2012, 2013, 214. So we slowly built and we slowly uh, through the great work of Sinead Herity and the board of the ILG, we managed to get funding towards and Sport Ireland, of course, um, paying for these great service providers. And I think once we get into a situation that we were able to look at every aspect of the player's performance, uh, we were able to make inroads in their development, and of course that was always done uh, in concert with working as best we could with their own personal coach to make sure that there was a joined up approach for the athletes as opposed to any kind of ego driven individual approaches which might have been there probably between two one and two seven so it was a fantastic journey, but a collective a collective amongst you know our staff in the union office, right through the coaches, right through the parents i don 't think the parents get enough of a mention sometimes because they're the ones that are the constant of the athlete's life coaches come and go performance directors come and go Um uh, colleges come and go but the parents are constant so we had some great interactions some great parents not always not always uh, in agreement in concert but uh, and slowly but surely we got great people around the program and those girls were i believe privileged to have some absolutely great minds you know the likes of some of these guys that are working in golf now to be able to um, you know, support their game and support their development. And that's when it got really exciting around uh 13, 14, we started to really realise that we were making some impact in terms of golf and we were bringing Irish ladies to the top table of world golf because let's be quite frank about it, between two zero and two ten, uh, the men's game was always, you know, traditionally much stronger than the ladies' game, with the exception of the late years of, you know, the 70s, early 80s with, with Mary Mack and all those ladies that were winning European championships. But otherwise, it was a barren period for ladies golf. So yeah, it was a very exciting journey to be on right up until the the podium position in the, in the World Amateur in sixteen uh, Girls' Home Internationals, Ladies' Home Internationals, um, some European titles there with the Maguire girls and Steph and, uh, and Laura in, in 2008, 2009. So yeah, it's been a healthy period. And see the girls you know, operating at college level, professional level. Um, it's it's really rewarding to watch and think that you were just a part of the team that helped the girls.
0: No, like in any industry, it's fantastic to see your efforts come to fruition and especially one where it takes a decade or more for it to come to fruition. Sure. You, you sure. know, it, it really means you need to have the confidence in what you're doing and what the team is doing over that decade. You know, look where Dublin football was in you know in, in yeah. the 90s and 2000s yeah. and, and they put yeah. in a program you know they, they put together a committee i believe and and massive funding of course but it took 10 years True. and uh, <laughs> i think we can fail to say they're performing to a high level for you and maybe it's a question i suppose on How different things are now compared to when you started but you might be able to give us an idea of maybe the difficulties it was for the first 10 years in terms of what were the outstanding obstacles you had to overcome was there any because creating a culture is something all tech companies are trying to do you know because about the culture so what obstacles were there over the first 10 years in creating that high performance culture for you in, in the ILGU
1: yeah, I mean, I think the big thing for me was probably rather than speaking about, you know, the opportunities were Sinead Heritage took up post very soon afterwards. And I kind of had a long conversation with Sinead about it. And we decided upon a direction, I suppose, more so than looking at what the issues were. then Sinead was excellent at, at, at boxing around the corners and figuring out how we were going to get funding for this, get funding for that. But in reality, the difference was, between now and then, when did the iPhone kick in, Patty? When did we start? 2726? Two, two, about we that, started, yeah. Started, I had my started, first yeah.
0: phone. It was a Nokia 3310 in Irish College. Uh, so that would have been <laughs> 2003-ish and an iPhone for my first phone as a job. So yeah, about 2000, yeah, 2006, six seven ish yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, If you consider the first six years, five years that we were communicating, I was going to training weekends, European championships, home internationals, and that was it. So communication, I think, uh, which is, I think, a core, we all talk about it, but at that point, communication was, you know, whereas you look at now and, you know, when I, before I left post and you would think that with a lot of these players, whether it was a you know, a Mairead Martin, or whether it was uh, an excellent young player from, from down south, or whether it was, you know, a, another player from up north, at some point during each calendar day, somebody would be in touch. You know, whether it was just a post about something, or, or uh, you know, what about did you get that organized? Or, or, or it, everyone's in touch. And I think that's the big thing I recollect on it is the journey between, you know, essentially see you in a month, do what I told you, or I sent an email to your coach and let me know how it goes or keep in touch. And then to where it became a stage of, you know, literally constant communication and monitoring. And you look at guys like, you know, Chris and Donal and Johnny, and these guys, they're coaching now. It's just without being invasive, it's a constant loop of feedback review. And I think that type of thing has had a huge influence on players. Like uh, that's one of the big, memories I have and one of the big learnings I have from the last 20 years for sure
0: absolutely there's a big change I see over the last or definitely five years in terms of um, the performance obviously the results but also the visibility of it but something I struggle with sometimes is um, again outside looking in is media coverage Hmm. and, and lack thereof because there's so mm. much great efforts and so many great initiatives that ILGO and now Golf Ireland are running, like get guards into golf, ladies into golf, uh, golf for equality and, and, mm. uh, and golf for all abilities, you know, disabled golf, etc. And unless you're looking for it like I am, it's yeah. not broadcast, do you know what I mean? No. It's not no. sung from the rooftops, look at all the good things we're doing. Uh, a, by the governing body, that's a different discussion. Uh, mm. But B, by the media. So I can very easily read that Roy McRoy is having a difficult year even though he's top 10 in most weeks but I have mm. nothing on uh, Leona's great performance uh, a few weeks ago Gainsborough and Stephanie Meadow retaining her card and now being super successful on tour um, and then you know like Olivia Mahaffey being one of the few ladies in the world let alone Irish ladies in the world playing at Augusta National mm. in the a Invitational what's your take on that do you think there's enough work being done in it is yeah. it down to us, people looking for the news to broadcast, that it needs to be there as well?
1: When you're in the performance space, I mean, if I'm in very... And I mean, you don't bring people like me onto this podcast, I believe, anyway, from what I've listened to, to toe the line and say the politics are correct thing. So I'm not going to choose to begin that at this point. I don't care. And I'll tell you why I don't care, because if I have Olivia on the phone, which you did last night, actually, coincidentally, we were just chatting through some stuff... And I uh, messaged Steph and Leona a few minutes ago after late Nona, just to congratulate Steph and just check in with Steph. Congratulate Leona on a good performance. Good finish, especially birdie two of the last number of holes there to finish up and improve her ranking. Steph, how'd you go? How'd you feel the weekend? You have a, you know, you have a tank of energy and you have a tank of effort each day to give other human beings, and you need to decide where you want to put that and what fight you want to take on. So for me, and it always has been for me, that's a decision that I would make, and that's a choice that I would make, is to put that energy into the individual's performance. Um, as opposed to going off fighting battles about coverage of ladies' sport, because I just have to be brutally frank with you. Uh, I don't think I'm going to do anything to affect that, but I know for a fact that if I'm in contact with the three athletes today, um, that something I say and something I might point them towards might help their performance, which is ultimately if Leona or Steph start winning British Opens, US Opens, uh, or Olivia coming down the track, you're going to see a lot more coverage. So I'm going to be a little controversial. I'm going to go the other way about it. The challenge is we've thrown down the challenge to all our athletes is to improve their own performance and keep improving them. And what do the Japanese call it? Kaizen and constant improvement. And we look at that and we put our energy into that area. And we actually are not hugely interested in what other people are not saying or saying because at the end of the day, you know, Leona's playing for big enough purses there last night. She picked up a nice check based on her own performance. And her own performance came from the energy that she puts into her own game, not from deciding whether coverage is relevant or not. So it's a conversation I'm not completely interested in, if I'm being really frank with you.
0: No, like I, I appreciate the the standpoint, and I suppose the the um, the the way you're looking at it, because like I think on the men's side like it shouldn't be different like from 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 an Irish open side from an Irish golf side there's a bit of chatter around oh well like Irish amateurs or the younger or fledgling Irish tour pros aren't getting Irish open spots and the same the same reply you said from other people like like Gary Murphy who do have a place mm. in, in media it's like well they're, if they're good enough they'll get in you know so sure. so I think it's a very refreshing take in terms of you, you you shouldn't be handed anything including column inches um if you're good enough you'll get the inches but like you said it's not in their focus <laughs> like their
1: focus is on their own performance the end. you've you you've a massive you know you've a massive decision to make in this life that we have and, and noise is incredible you know i just started on instagram this year never never had anything to do with it because i felt I wouldn't say compromise, but I felt like my place wasn't to be on social media. My place was a private place with the girls that I worked for in terms of the team, et cetera, et cetera. I just wanted to stay out of it. I just wanted to kind of keep in touch one-on-one, WhatsApp with the players. And you've a place to play and you've got to figure out at some point, uh, I I remember Dara Sheridan organizing a great chat for us at Sport Ireland and uh, a guy stood up and spoke and he was the... Uh, chief executive at Diageo, Britain and Ireland at the time. His name was David Smith. He was an Englishman living in Rathmines or Rathgar. I remember it vividly and I remember him talking through, he, he prepared, uh, Dara was telling me afterwards, his presentation was 21 hours preparation for a 40 minute preparation for a 40-minute presentation. And I remember him talking a little bit and, and I volunteer in the mental health space as well uh, as a sideline. So I enjoy Um, discussing this, and I enjoy the effect that people like David and other people have had on me being able to chase down my dreams. And I remember him saying he had a wooden floor in the rented house that himself and his family were staying in, and he remembers every morning putting his two feet on the wooden floor saying, how can I influence things today? What can I do today? And he spoke about that at length. And it was a hugely, uh, you know, it's a hugely impactful speech that he gave because I remember thinking, well, I can make a choice now to start saying, well, do you know what? These guys aren't doing this for me or this fella isn't doing that for me. or I was unlucky with this, or I can say, do you know what? I have X amount of time. I have X amount. It's almost like an hourglass. I have X amount of energy each day. I've got to really pick my fights. I've got to really pick what I can put that into. I've got to uh, support and protect and look after the people I need to. I've got to help the other people around me that I can help and I help as many people as I can. And basically that egg timer is empty at nighttime." So you better be careful how you distribute those grains of sand. Because if you're going down a rabbit hole on Twitter talking about something that has nothing to do with you, that energy has been expended. And it might make you feel better short term, but it's possibly been of no influence to anybody. So I've always taken that view on it. I've always tried to keep my powder clean, not because I'm not afraid of a good... I'm a good mailman, for God's sakes. We've been in enough scraps with Galway and Roscommon. I'm not afraid of a good Barney, but I'm just saying, is there any point, is this this conversation ego-driven or is it actually going to do anybody any good? So if it's ego-driven, I'm probably old enough now to be able to see the difference between a conversation that's driven by my ego and a conversation that's actually going to be of any use to the players, coaches, or people that surround me.
0: I think that's deadly I think I think that I try and take something away from from everyone I speak to and so far a a big one to stand out to me for speaking with you so far is you know only for like like that every morning what can I do today yeah that's it where's my focus going to be today to have the biggest impact on what I want to achieve that's it no and and for me it could be with this podcast or more more often than not it's going to be with my little girl you know yeah of
1: course you know of course
0: is that the question you asked yourself when you moved from, you know, like you, you how would you describe it when you um, left post that the feet, the two feet hit the floor one day and you said, okay, well, where can I put my focus now? What impact can I have? And is that when David Kearney, um, when, when you moved into like your own professional services?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think we got to a point there, you know, I, had a, I was at Grange Golf Club, I had a great time at Grange uh, six years the post came up at carton i was approached by it world championship of carton phenomenal uh, felt it would be lovely to leave at the end of the world championships having delivered a successful world championships both as national team coach and director of golf at carton kind of enjoyed the challenge even though i turned out to possibly i'll definitely not be getting director of the golf of the year award at any point soon really enjoyed the challenge of presenting that. And then, we, of course, we got into a situation where Golf Ireland was manifesting itself. And again, I made another decision. I thought I was best placed which needs support to say that I was the best person to help um, get the ladies to the table and talk about the, the supports required for the girls and ladies teams, uh, both regionally and internationally. And then once you're coming to the end of that job, you're saying to yourself, Paddy, what's next? And with greatest respect to Mark Canelli and his team, I felt at that point that if somebody was going to even attempt to go into that position, they'd need to be absolutely up for the game and absolutely ready to go. And the tank was empty. So there was a couple of other things I wanted to do, and I most certainly didn't want to go away and out of respect to all of those people that are in position in Golf Ireland With my with one eye on the road, so I said to myself in August, July after close counsel with quite a few people, I said to myself, uh, Elizabeth Kubler Ross is a great lady. I read a lot of her work. Beautiful writer. She's uh, she's uh, not with us anymore, but she writes some fantastic books on actually uh, bereavement and grief. Believe it or not, not one to bring the mood down, but she's a beautiful writer. And I remember her saying in one of her books, I have a note in my journal saying, you know, if you end relationships at the right time it can be one of the most powerful things you do. Um, And I remember thinking to myself, this is the right time. And I remember just double checking with Sinead and saying, "Okay, it's time to check out and give Mark and the guys a bit of a free run to shape it up as as best they wish to go forward with uh, with, 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 um, as much energy as they can.
0: Absolutely, and one could like you have quite a legs left behind you. Those, those folks have have definitely got shoes to, to fill, but no doubt um, you have them well advised, and the transition uh, is well mapped out for
1: them. Yeah, so, it went very it, it went very well, and I mean it was all like I mean it wasn't again. And and, and Neil is a good supporter of this again. It's Neil Manship, It's not. It wasn't a question of equality or X, Y, and Z from a player's perspective. It was a question of you know giving players opportunity and if players were performing giving them more opportunity so it wasn't a it was a question of doing the right thing by people and i think that was what i enjoyed about the transition but then I, it came very obvious to me with a few months to go that definitely i would made the right decision and i'm uh three months into it and i absolutely think i did the right thing by the girls and by the by the teams we had over the years no brilliant
0: um i must i must read some of those some of those writings from that lady. Um, She's a brilliant writer. Yeah, beautiful writer. Something I definitely need to work on, especially when you're in business. You know, and you're moving teams, and you don't want sure. any internal politics or, or sure. like that to, or personal personal ego get get in the way. You know, because life is a circle, and someday you might have to loop around and, and ask that person something for a favor or for whatever. Sure. David Carney. Um, David Carney operates on various golfing missions and speaking engagements in countries all over the world, advising on the development of high-performance and competitive programs. That's from your website, davidcarney.golf. Yeah. yeah. So so can you describe, can, what's the elevator pitch for David Carney 2021 and onwards?
1: What, what What do you do now? Well, that's still a great question, isn't it? Three months (laughs) into the year. You'd have thought a fella should know that at this point, shouldn't you? Um, So, with with some of the work we've done over the years, I've been to, I've done missions for the RNA and the CPG, uh, used to be the PGA of Europe, India, Panama, Brazil. um, We've done a lot of work in Eastern Europe. And basically, really, Patty, in layman's terms, it's jumping in, sitting in amongst all the people that are resident in that country. And I suppose trying to offer them some guidance, not just from a, a, I I work over at the PGA and the Belfry and and golf coaching and ball flights and all that kind of stuff, not just technical information, but just using the support of the people around us. And it's a team effort, but it might be a quick, uh, it might be a quick email to to Robbie Cannon, maybe for a a connect on strength and conditioning or something like that. But it's just to sit in and, and try to look at their systems and try to understand what they're trying to achieve. And maybe, Uh, maybe give them a little bit of advice on that so that's something I've enjoyed doing I've traveled to many countries doing that I still right now I would still have a lot of um, individual clients that I would see from a golf coaching perspective which has been great since the beginning of the new year because I've been based overseas since the beginning of the new year so that's been great and I'm back coaching a little bit which I haven't done really hugely for a number of years so that's been excellent as well and uh, the academy space you know in terms of um, looking at you know bringing people together for for golf tuition etc on trips and a combination of hopefully good golf instruction and improving uh, improving their games alongside some travel and some work on the on the mental side with Paul Gaffney physical side with Sharon Morris or, or even Donal helping us out with the performance management so all of those interesting workshops that we run on the website are hopefully the future for the next while
0: it's a, it's all stuff that I have a massive keen interest in because cause all you can see is it's personal development and I see a lot of transitions between high performance in sport and in business so not telling you your job Brenton, but there's definitely a space there for you know speaking at you know company kickoffs because sales is a high performance game and you're coming from 20 years plus of having gotten results in a phenomenally results based industry if 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 I was an organisation, um, you know, England Golf, I don't think they listen to this podcast, so I can ask this question. If they come to you and say, "Hey, David, can we organise a trip for our League squad or development squads? What would that look like?" So if I go onto the website and I go into golf trips, how how, how, does, how does that work? What, what kind of service or, or treatment or what's my expectations for for that?
1: Well, I think the very first thing is it's uh, it's cliched to a degree, but you know from a team perspective was England golf. You see, we've got this idea of team and golf, but actually it's, it's got nothing to do with teams. You know, uh, golf teams are based on individual performances and each individual has a responsibility towards the team based on their own performance. So I've got a couple of great stories over the years of where we've gone to Europeans, we've gone to worlds and, you know, the conversations I've had over the years with these athletes have been about their own performance. Not one athlete has ever said to me about, you know, the team, you know, what we, You know, well, that's not true. Maybe once or twice. You know, the I remember Steph saying years ago when she was about thirteen, "This team should be doing better." But you know, people in general want to, I think, improve their own performance. And if people improve their own performance, um, there's a real high possibility that if everyone on the team did that, the team would be pulled forward as well. So I would look at it. I would look at a team weekend as a, a, a number of individual projects. And the very first thing I would try to do is I would try to, I suppose get to know those people and get to know the individuals and try to see, like we did, uh, Paul and I did a nice run on Instagram there on you know looking at a good mental game in lockdown and how would you start to analyze your, your mental game? And I would start to say, look, at where are the chances? Where do you want to improve? What do you want to achieve? I suppose, what's your own vision? What's your own mission? What do you think you can do here? And if we started with that individually and we did a bit of a deep dive with that, I think that over the next couple of days, uh, you would see things happening like um, it's it's well documented internally the great the great row myself and Olivia had in, at the Junior Olympics in 2014 is she she kicked off and she doesn't mind me telling the story because I've told it many times, but she kicked off in the gym for the first four or five days in Hong Kong and she was going at it like uh, Floyd mayweather she was flying and, and next thing she stopped. And two weeks later, there was no gym session on the go and we had a debrief and she wanted to be the best player in the world, which I still believe she can. And there was no gym. So we just tried to match up the intent with the action. And there was a huge gap. And I think that when you start to do with individuals on intention and then the action and you see the gaps, then it becomes apparent to the individual that maybe they're not where they need to be. And I think that the rather than us telling them and um, Patty, if we make them aware of the situation, they actually get the feedback themselves, and that's for me real learning not me shouting at kids telling them what to do, but actually educating them and say, this is where you want to go, but this is your current behavior. Can you see a gap between the two of them If you can, if you're in business if you can't, well, I'm afraid I can help you with that, but there's not much more we could do.
0: Yeah, it's something uh, it's something i've I've read a lot into or listened to. I'm an audiobook man in terms yeah. of map what you're doing like what the impact you're having each day when the two mm, feet hit mm, the floor mm. uh to what you're trying to achieve and self-diagnose and there's nothing more powerful when you figure something out yourself, you know, as yeah. most people um will be very self self critical and um, especially in the in, in the in the performance world, whether you're in sports or business, you know, or entrepreneurship. Sure, sure. Would you be able to tell us at time it might it might have been in Galway Golf Club for your first people yeah. a, a club?
1: Hmm. That you felt under pressure, and why? Like pressure to perform, and why? Yeah, great question, super question. Under pressure to perform. Yeah, I'll give you a good one. I think it was a turning point, point. I don't think it's very uh, complimentary towards me, but I'm going to tell it anyway because it does. It is something that really helped me uh, help me figure out who I am as opposed to what I should be doing. And it was Cork after we had home internationals there, and we had a terrible performance and um, I was, I think, from my recollection of it, outside agencies geared me towards having a meeting with the players very close to the clubhouse that was pretty much envisioned for everybody else, and I regret doing it because I didn't do it for me, and I most certainly didn't do it for the players. I did it for the other people, and I think that that was probably 12, 13 years ago, Um, but I think that helped me. Uh, maybe 10 years ago, maybe less. I can't remember the home international in Cork. But I remember my own reflection on that was that wasn't for the benefit of the players. And I think I was under pressure to do it based on some feedback I had received. And I think I did it too quickly. And I think I handled it badly. And I think from then on in, I began to understand who I was. And I think I began to get a bit more confidence. So I made a mistake. Um, I don't think I ever apologised to the players I think it took me a few years to reflect on it if I saw them now I would if they asked me about it um, but that was a mistake and I learned a lot from it
0: oh, Often times it's true mistakes is your biggest learning it and takes, it takes some of um, serious consistency to, to be able to tell that story you know when you when you aren't sh- shining into the brightest of lights
1: <laughs> that you maybe no. want to Awesome good Not my finest moment
0: Oh, well, if I told you mine, it would probably be, <laughs> a, would probably be on a football <laughs> pitch in <and> Prosperous. <laughs> and the miners are told to play football that Pods yeah. could, could mind himself. <laughs> I
1: know, I know, my God.
0: Uh, quick for Q&A time, David Carney. Sure. What would your walk on song be?
1: Ooh, Black Diamond Bay, Bob Dylan, probably.
0: Probably. Jim
1: or pizza? Uh, pizza, I don't like Jim. After the after the Olivia Banffy story. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 100% I was doing it to support her and I, even, I hope she listens to this because she didn't even have the manners to stay with me through the duration, you know? <laughs> Are you a hat visor or a Keelan Rafferty bucket hat type of person? My dad, David Carney Sr. from Ballandine County Mayo, close to our home uh, town, Clare Morris, has the... Biggest head in Europe, and I have the second biggest head, so you will never see me in a hat, buddy.
0: Um Who Robert Rock? You, you, you have hair that echoes Robert Rock, so this won't be on video. But anybody who mm-hmm. Google David Carney uh, has the second best hair in Europe after Mr. Rock, and so don't, but don't put that How
1: yeah. or more? team cup? No team cup. Walker Cart. Yeah, we had this conversation. I cannot understand the cart unless you're not able I can't understand it.
0: Yeah give me that medical cert that's my um, that's my opinion.
1: Win the Masters or win the Open? I'd win the Masters purely because my brother and I were at the Killarney Monster Youths the year Lyle won at 85 we were staying in a tent with icicles and every night we went down and watched the Masters with lime and water and a bag of crisps and we hadn't six quid to rub together and Paddy Gribbon was hitting driver and nine iron to power fives, and I was hitting two woods and a wedge. <laughs> Masters.
0: Great story. Instagram or Twitter?
1: Oh, it's Instagram now, but before uh, I was with the ladies' union, it was neither. Play. And the last one play or practice? Oh, uh, well, play. It has to be play now. After I met Fred Shoemaker, it would be play. Absolutely. And this one I, I haven't documented, unless you've listened to the
0: podcast. Um, often people forget to prepare for it. Um, it's it's kind of a. I'll set it up for you. So we'll say that you're after consulting with with um, an agency in, in somewhere in Europe uh, around their high performance program, and you're hosting the dinner that evening. Mm-hmm. And you can have and it's your dinner. You can have whoever you want at it. Six people, dead, alive, celebrity, golfer, the wife, the kids, whoever you want. Yeah. who are the six people at David Carney's candlelit dinner
1: Um, I'd bring my dad and my granddad for sure I wouldn't bring my wife or my child because they don't like gala dinners so that'll be three that'll take us up to three wouldn't it you have two your dad and your granddad so you have yeah. six okay i take Michael Kane from Morris, my godfather uh, solicitor extraordinaire uh, current league. Uh, masquerading around the mate handicap in San Roque Golf Club. That's three more. I would bring... Ooh. Oh, gosh, that's such a tough question. Uh, I'd bring my mum to keep the peace. Yeah, she'd definitely keep the peace for sure. She'd be good crack as well. i bring. bring... Uh... Oh, gosh, that's a great one. i definitely bring Mickey Flanagan there's no doubt but I wouldn't bring Nicky Flanagan for sure and who's the last person I'd That's bring one. I have one more to go have I one more to go Um, I would bring I'd bring Ernie else why not I've never met him I'd like to meet him
0: I met him I spent six hours with him as I carry for my friend, because we won a trip for the B&W Championship in Munich. And he was one of my all time favorite golfers, Ernie Ellison, and an absolute gentleman sitting of the ball and actually a country through my as well. Effortlessly as well. Nice guy. Lovely guy. Yeah, lovely guy.
1: I'll trade. I'll get rid of Kane and I'll bring Noni Lal Krueshi, who is a teaching pro at Delhi Golf Club, who has had a big influence on me. And I love speaking to her and I love recting her because she's a beautiful person. There you go. Oh, brilliant David Carney.
0: thank you very much and hopefully post lockdown or whatever we'll be able to share maybe a quick nine somewhere maybe in Clare Morris we'll do the old nine
1: and, and, uh, if it, if it and works, a glass of lime and water after that's right I mean, we'll relive uh, Sandy Lyle sweaty armpits and the check trousers brilliant thank you very much
0: peace out you good
1: go. to talk to you take care mind yourself
0: man do I love chats like that I hope you got out of it but I got out of it David Carney is what is an absolute gentleman. Um, Has a great point of view, a great view of the world, um, very insightful discussion. And I could sit down in that restaurant. Well, he was in a restaurant in Turkey. I was in my spare room in (laughs) Mace, but uh, you could sit down and, and have the chat with him about golf and everything around it for a very. Very long time. Um, I want to thank David for his time, and I do wish him all the best in his endeavours. And he will still be leading Ireland out uh, for the Tokyo Olympics. So get following David. He's put on some really good content on Instagram. Links will be in the show notes here. Uh, meanwhile, thank you for pressing play. Um, if you want some giveaways each month, head over to pettytalkscout.com. Join the timesheet. Uh, there's a random winner every month They get sent something. So I mean, uh, this month is April. So there's going to be a lovely NUSAN kit. Um, so check out NUSAN as well. They, they were kind enough to send one through. So I'm just going to send that on to you guys. Um, the, the Imperial hat order landed this week. So the hat visors and Killing Rafferty bucket hats uh, are, have been received quite well. So I'm looking forward to updating the website with some proper photos of them um, this weekend. So head over, check them out. If you want to snag one up, please do. Um, let me know what you think about them, anyone who's going to get them kind of early next week, give me some feedback on the product, we'd really love that. Meanwhile, enjoy the rest of your day. It's sunny outside, golf is back in a couple of weeks, things looking fresher. Um, Stay safe, until we teed up again soon, I'm Paddy.